This is Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, and each episode, I'll be joined by world-renowned faculty from across the College of Business, as well as international industry leaders who will offer us insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. to another edition of Business Impact as we head into, we're just past Halloween, no more fireworks, no more disruption, no more monkey nuts. I'm personally delighted. I know a lot of other people like it, but I like it most when it's actually over. And now we're on the run into Christmas and we have a very few interesting editions of the podcast coming up over the next few weeks. So stick around. I think you'll enjoy them. A lot of different people, a lot of people, a lot of different messages across sectors, companies and different types of business experience is what we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks. So please do tune in and get a copy of your podcast wherever you can. The other thing that we'd like to do is talk to CEOs in particular, people in business leadership who are making big decisions, whose decisions impact on their employees, impact on their companies, and impact on the wider society and community that they're drawn from. And we, yeah, okay, I suppose we sometimes there's a little bit of a profile emerges about the typical CEO that we have on the podcast generally male, although not exclusively, generally of a certain age group, generally of a particular political persuasion, potentially. So they have the similar pastimes and hobbies and may have come through the same schools and colleges. And again, none of that is a crime, but it does sometimes add up to a bit of a sameness in some of the conversations you can have with business leaders. But we also are trying to reflect the different types of people and different experiences that are coming through at the top of companies. And my guest today is certainly going to be able to help us stimulate that conversation. And that guest is Julie Ennis, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Corporate Services with Sodexo, of course, a huge French company and a huge global company with thousands of employees. They're involved in food preparation, facilities management, and a whole range of other areas, which Julie will be able to tell us about in the next few minutes. She's also country president of Sodexo in Ireland as well. Until a few years ago, she was working with Bank of Ireland, even one of the branches there on Baggett Street. So in the last seven years, her whole career has gone flipped right around into a whole new domain. And we'll be talking to her how she made that transition and what the last few years, including the COVID period, were like for her and some of her colleagues. She also happens to hold an MBA, a postgraduate diploma, an MSc, and a whole range, clatter of qualifications from UCD itself. So it's got to be an interesting conversation. You're very welcome to Business Impact, Julie. Thank you, Emma. Great to be here. Um, long build up. <laughs> Sorry about my introduction, <laughs> Leds, there, but <laughs> you've, you've been doing a lot. You've been busy, so there's a lot to get over. Uh, let's go back and talk a little bit personal first uh, and look at your career and how it's developed. Uh, you know, the, the thing about it is you've been with Bank of Ireland for quite a while, and I'm sure you could still be there and having a, a very nice life and a very interesting career, but you decided to make a move a few years ago. And since then, your career has really blossomed into a whole new set of directions and areas. Tell me a little bit about the last few years and how things have been going. It has been a big change, Emmett, for sure, over the last uh, number of years. As you said, I, I worked in Bank of Ireland. I, I think I joined about uh, 20 odd years ago for what I thought would be maybe six or 12 months. And I stayed there just over 20 years. I, I joined Sodexo in February 2019, I think it was, as um, the managing director for the Irish business. And uh, about a year later, I, I took over as CEO for uh, their corporate services uh, business across the UK and Ireland. So just in time for, for COVID, Emmett, uh, about two weeks before lockdown. Nice. I, I on, <laughs> nice timing. I took on the new role, um, as I said, just, just a couple of weeks before lockdown. So it has been, you know, quite a, 
a very interesting journey over the last number of years and also quite challenging, as you can imagine, in terms of the environment that we were working in. But, um, you know, Sodexo is, is a fantastic business. It's a large multinational, as you said. Um, the clients that we have across the UK and Ireland uh, vary dramatically um, from pharmaceutical to financial services to education. So, you know, over the last number of years, we've had to be quite agile in terms of how we've adapt adapted um, for different clients and stayed open a lot, actually, throughout COVID, where other clients um, would have been closed. So it, ha it has been a, a busy couple of years, but thankfully, we're, we're on the other side of that now. Um, the business is doing really, really well. Um, and is going from strength to strength and is growing. So, you know, we're we're very, very happy. Now, just to, to keep uh, his listeners informed, Julie's actually talking to us from London, where, where she runs the UK and Ireland business. So she's uh, thankfully and, and helpfully decided to podcast with us from there. Julie, in terms of your time in Bank of Ireland, you know, even to this day of the 2022, a job in the bank, as we call it, it is always the parent's friend and is always well, well encouraged yeah. by Irish parents, even to this day. You were there for quite a while. Was it a big decision to leave? Or were you ready to leave? What had a, had a moment come where you decided, right, I'm going to go for this? What, what was the, the forces that, that compelled you to, to, to make the big move? It was probably a bit of both, Emmett. Um, so as I said, I, I'd been with the bank for, as you say, the bank, and my parents were definitely of that mind. <laughs> for just over 20 years, I had a fantastic career with the bank. I learned a huge amount um, and covered many different roles, some, some of which you've already mentioned. I think the turning point for me was I, I went to UCD and uh, did my MBA in Smurfit. And if I'm really honest, that opened my eyes to, I suppose, other things out there. I, I was in a, you know, fantastic classes with super bright people from different industries. And it really gave me, I suppose, the momentum um, and maybe the confidence to look elsewhere to try and do something. I knew a few people in Sodexo and I knew there was an opportunity coming up and I just thought, you know what, if I don't do it now, I probably never will. Um, and had I not moved, I'd say I'd still be in probably in Bank of Ireland or in, certainly in financial services. So uh, it has been a really, really exciting uh, move for me. And um, yeah, I mean, I haven't looked back that one day. It's brilliant, yeah, isn't it? Because, uh, you know, it can be difficult to find a new perspective and sort of break out of patterns mm. and, and habits and, and, and work colleagues and, and those circles that yeah. you're in. Uh, in terms of the Bank of Ireland experience, was there anything that you were able to bring from the bank into the new job or were they like completely different and you were almost starting all over afresh? I think in business, typically the business fundamentals are the same. You know, you're, we're, we're serving clients, we're serving end consumers, no more than I was in the retail bank. Clearly, the services and what we offer is very, very different. But I mean, the learning I had in, in Bank of Ireland absolutely stood me and, and still supports everything that I do today. I, I, I mainly worked in the retail bank in, in Bank of Ireland. So uh, as you said, I, I managed Baggett Street. I managed Blanchardstown. I was in their insurance and investments division, leading sales teams. So, you know, I had quite a breadth. Uh, of experience, thankfully, that, that I was able to get um, while working there. And all of that has, you know, the retail mindset is, is super important for what I'm doing um, today and for the teams, but also everything to do with um, clients and servicing clients. So, I mean, there's, there's so many similarities. You wouldn't typically think there would be, but there absolutely is. Um, so I've been able to bring that learning for sure uh, into, into Sodexo. Now, Julie, a lot of our listeners will know Sodexo. They'll certainly know the name, 
but they may not know more than the name. Would it be possible for you for, for just a minute or two to sketch out what the company does and give our, our listeners just a sort of a, a bird's eye view of what the company's different activities are? And I'm not asking you to talk about all the global different parts and so on, but just as it pertains to what you do in particular. Yeah, absolutely. So, so as you said, Selexo is a is a global multinational. It's a it's a company that was um, that's headquartered in France. It's actually one of the world's. I think it's the nineteenth largest employer in the world. We have uh, four hundred twelve thousand people uh, across fifty five countries. So it is a big, big organization. And as you said at the start, um, for, if I think of the corporate division that I look after, and uh, we deliver workplace services. So everything to do with um, I suppose the built environment and the employee experience that you want to deliver. So food services, concierge, cleaning, workplace strategy, the design of workplaces, facilities management, they're all of the services that we provide to clients. And as I said, typically um, a lot of pharmaceutical clients, professional services, financial services, tech and so forth. Um, so the business that I look after across the UK and Ireland, uh, we have just over 600 client locations and just shy now of about 8,000 people um, across for my division. Um, so it's it's quite a large part of the business. It's, it's certainly the largest division within the UK and Ireland. Um, so as I said, you know, there's such a focus now on workplace transformation, delivering employee experience. So what we do is, is really, really important and thankfully is on pretty much uh, the agenda of every corporate uh, that we talk to at the moment. Yeah, and I suppose um, a lot of us will have been in buildings um, managed or certainly have services within them by Sodexo. Obviously, there, there's a lot of um, companies in this sector, but not necessarily the work is not maybe that visible to the employees coming and going. People aren't always that observant. They may not know. So it, it's almost an unseen sector, isn't it, in some ways? It, it's very present in a lot of places, but not necessarily out in front. Exactly. And actually, one of the things that I say um, that that I think has been you know, a positive that has come out of COVID is that it has highlighted um, this sector in particular and the importance, because as you said, it's like it's like this invisible infrastructure that exists um, for every organization. But actually, without them, it, the, most places would close. Um, you know, so it's uh, it is a hidden uh, but extremely, extremely important part of the business. And as I said, it's why it's it's on the agenda now of, of pretty much every every corporate. You can imagine that the, the heightened focus on you know cleaning and health throughout COVID, all of these things sort of brought the services to light. Um, and for me, well, I would say this, but I'm, I'm biased. They are hidden heroes without a doubt, because as I said, it's the cleaners, it's the security people, it's the food service people that kept businesses going um, when they needed to operate throughout a very, very, very challenging time. And Julie, would you have any sense of how many companies are still doing this kind of work themselves in-house versus how many subcontracted out to companies like yourself and sign a deal of some kind over multiple years, presumably? Like how many, uh, is there any idea of the breakdown of that? In other words, people who are still doing this all themselves and are, are companies who are doing it with the likes of yourselves? Yeah, I, I suppose different sectors have different outsourcing rates. And um, if, I, if I look at the corporate world, certainly across the UK and Ireland, Emmet, it's approximately 60% outsourced. And again, that varies between subsectors and things. But it means that there is a big, big, big part of the market that is still operating these which you know, are, are probably non-core services to their business um, in-house. And what we're seeing a lot of at the moment, and particularly you know, with the challenge uh, of costs and that, is a rising sort of 
uh, focus on outsourcing because again, you know, if you have your teams in 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 in-house operations, you know, you mightn't be getting the right or the same expertise or best practice that you can get from a, a global organization that's doing this for a living. Um, so as I said, we're seeing a, a rise in outsourcing rates, and it is certainly something that people can look to in terms of uh, cost avoidance. Yeah, and that was one of the one of the reasons we set up this conversation was to talk a little bit about the inflation crisis, and, and you have to call it that when it's uh, at nine and ten percent across Europe. I, I suppose that cuts both ways, does it, for a company like ourselves? On one hand, it makes companies more likely to explore the subcontracting idea. You know, we need to we need to lower our costs and be more efficient and and just concentrate on our core activities, as you say. But equally, on the on the more negative side, the services you're providing, the food and all the rest, is is going up in cost. So it's kind of a, it's kind of, there's two different messages in there, isn't there, for a company like yourself? If you look at food for, for a moment, um, I mean, food inflation has been, has, you know, it, it has skyrocketed. We've worked really, really closely with, with clients around sort of re-engineering menus to help mitigate some cost, you know, using key ingredients across multiple dishes, et cetera, et cetera. So there's actually quite a lot you can do and that we do um, with our clients. And we, you know, our supply management teams, that's what that's their job in terms of making sure that the categories, and the value for money that we're getting is is there and that we can mitigate some of the costs for clients. So that's some, you know, one part of it. On the other part of it, we also have expertise that we can bring to clients to help them because it's usually we're on a client site. So it's their energy costs, their utility costs and so forth. So what we can do is bring in specialists like our, our energy team to look at ways um, for clients to, I suppose, to reduce energy consumption and just different ways that they can mitigate costs. And particularly now, when you look at, I mean, every single organization I talk to is focused on net zero and getting to, you know, decarbonization of buildings and things. So that's where we can add more value. Um, in terms of helping them reduce costs, but also achieve their sustainability um, goals. So there's there's a lot happening um, and we're we're very, very proactive in this space. But you're right. I mean, we can't get away from inflation. It's just trying to mitigate as best we can um, working with our clients. Now, obviously, you have different types of contracts and different types of services going into different places. I'm, I'm sure it's a very varied picture. I mean, you could have just somebody doing something as, as, as minimal as, as reception work, for example, or you could have a whole catering operation in a place. And I mean, do you have very different levels of contracts and involvement in different companies? Like some of them, it's, it's small enough and others, it's huge. I mean, it, it must be quite varied, the different kind of contracts you have. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we would have, as you, as you rightly said, you know, some what we would call single service contracts. So it could be food only or, or, or cleaning, et cetera. But most clients opt for more of a sort of a bundled approach or what we call IFM, Integrated Facilities Management, where you're really getting, I suppose, the benefits of scale um, and being able to be much more agile across different service lines. But yes, I mean, a lot of the contracts we have are, are probably um, either food only, which is maybe 40% of the business and the rest of it then would tend to be what we call integrated facilities management. And as I said, they range completely in terms of value. Um, and again, it depends on the sector, sectors, you know, and subsectors, different clients buy different ways and they have different needs. So it's important that we're able to meet those needs. 
Now, Julie, you, you know, you, you read as much and probably more than I do about the, the, the shortage of people. You know, you're a very people-centered business. It, it, nothing happens without them in the, the business that you do, from cooks to cleaners to chefs, et cetera, et cetera. We're hearing in the UK and in Ireland extreme crippling shortages, really, in, in certain areas, in certain pockets, just cannot get people. I mean, is it again, is this a, a sort of a complex picture for you in the sense that you have obviously access to people of, of, of some description? I know, or is it equally difficult for you to get them yourselves? So you're, you're trying to get people in to jobs, you know, in very tough areas where restaurants, bars, hospitality, hospitals, you name it. Um, everyone's trying to get the same people. I know chefs in particular is a really difficult. I've spoken to people in the restaurant trade here about that problem. How Just how bad is it, first of all? And is there any strategies that Sodexo have been using to try and kind of get over this problem? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a it is a major challenge. For me, it's it's the number one challenge. And it's the same in the UK as it is in Ireland, Emmett. I, I know, you know, if you look at Ireland, it's all-time low unemployment rates. So that tells you. It's already difficult um, without the likes of wage inflation um, and everything else that's happening. So it's um, it's extremely difficult. What we are very focused on is the, you know the overall sort of employee value proposition that we give to people. So it's not just a job it's, and, and and pay. It's all of the benefits that go around that. So we've done quite a lot of work in terms of pushing our clients, supporting our clients with things like living wage, to make sure that we're able to offer an attractive value proposition for employees, but also the training packages that we put behind it, the benefits around, we do things like uh, 24-7 GP care, you know, all of the different sort of um, ancillary benefits that we've put around. But it doesn't it, it doesn't get away from the fact that it is, it is a very, very difficult environment. I think one of the things that I say to anyone who listen, Sodexo is a hugely people-centric organization that you said it there a second ago. And I, I didn't probably realize how much until I joined myself. And it has said, every everything we do is, is the question we ask is, what's this going to do for uh, our people and what's the impact on our people? So I think people that join Sodexo don't tend to leave. That tells you something. And those that have left often like to come back. So it, it is a very people-centric organization. As I said, that has stood us in good stead in a time when we're trying to recruit people, but it doesn't get away from the fact that we have to push for things like, as I said, living wage, making sure we have a really, really inclusive environment, um, and all of, as I said, the fringe benefits that go around an employee value proposition. The challenges are exactly the same in the UK as they are in Ireland. And do you think um, another part of that is is selling the jobs? You know, persuading people these are good career options for you. I mean, that, that was that was a lot easier ten or twenty years ago. But I mean, sometimes do, do, does the catering sector itself ha have an image problem? Is is it difficult to sell this, or or, or do you not run into that problem? It definitely does have an image problem. I don't think we do enough, both the industry, but also you know from a government perspective. I think there's lots that we could do to be promoting this type of because. Do you know what? It, it can be a really, really, really fulfilling career. And also the good thing about, you know, working for an organization like Sodexo is people move and have developed their careers in complete different areas. So if you think of COVID as an example, we have people working in uh, in restaurants or, or kitchens and you know they moved into different. We've, they're now doing an apprenticeship, say, for engineering or whatever. So, I mean, there's lots and lots of things that you can do, but I think it's it's about promoting the food service industry, 
and the facilities management industry much more as a career uh, because you said people don't think of it as much as I would like them to think about it. Yeah, maybe maybe it's a communications or advertising campaign or something. I I I don't know, but yeah, they're definitely the industry will have no choice, I suppose, but to do it in time because there there's competitors as well in your space that are looking to get the same employees. So it's a tight labour market, and as you know, there there's the whole area around um, migration and bringing people in from outside. That's a kind of a a tense, very political area at the moment. So that's not easily done either. So. A lot of the time you're just working with the employees who are already in Ireland or the UK or, or whatever the market is. So it, it's definitely a challenge and, and will be an ongoing what it would seem. Uh, Julie, I wanted to move your um, move your attention in this conversation a little bit onto some other issues. Uh, one of them was the whole diversity area. I know you've been very, well, I don't know if heavily involved, but certainly you've, you've been healthily involved. You've raised the issue of leadership, LGBTQ plus people, people getting into more senior positions, making the whole workplace, not just management uh, tier in companies, but the workplace in, in totality more diverse. Can you tell me a little bit about your, your, how you've got invested in these issues, what you do and how important you think that whole area is? Yeah, well, very, very simply, Emma, they're, they're very close to my heart because one, I, I'm a woman and two, I'm a gay woman. So uh, they're, they're very close to my heart and therefore, you know, it's something that I, I I work on um quite actively with my teams. I mean, I, I will say I wasn't always comfortable having the conversation. Um, but what I have, you know, I know I'm in a leadership position, and therefore, you know, I have to pay it, I have to pay it forward. I have to show um people that you, you can you can get on in your career, but also um that we need more diversity and diversity of thought. So I suppose two things that I'm quite passionate about one is obviously as you said lgbtq and the other is um gender so sodexo has uh, a very 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 rich heritage when it comes to diversity equity and inclusion it's something we have focused on for 50 years not the last five years so it, it's it's a family-run company and therefore that thread or red thread of of family and inclusion runs through the business so one of the things I'm involved in is the global gender strategy. So I sit on a global advisory board for Sodexo, and that is about raising awareness and making sure that we achieve at least 40% women in, in senior leadership positions by 24. And we're, we're almost there from, from a, an LGBT perspective. You know, we have a numerous networks uh, across the business. We have one in Ireland and we have one in the UK uh, called pride. I ask, I suppose it's certainly what I would do and am doing is being open and honest and transparent um, to maybe maybe inspire or maybe you know let people know that it's okay to 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 be gay uh, and to have a career in the likes of uh, facilities management or in any organization actually. And I think you know it's the one thing people say quite a lot: if you can see it, you can be it. So therefore, I think it's incumbent on leaders to be authentic just to be transparent uh, and to support uh, diversity and inclusion by leading the way themselves, if you can. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to do on this agenda. And Julie, um, did, like you, you mentioned before that you were uh, 20 years or so or thereabouts in Bank of Ireland. So have you noticed like a, kind of a, ch- a change going from the, the first day you walked into Bank of Ireland? I'm, I'm only bringing that company in because that's where you work. There's no, nothing particular to them, right? But um, have you noticed actual change in that 20 years where you say to yourself, do you know what, Emmett, it, I, I really have, and that's a positive thing? Or are you saying, 
I've noticed some change, but not uh, even nearly enough. Like, what, what's your own take if you if you if you go from when you started your career to where you are now? Oh, I think I, I think there has been big change. You know, to to if I if I think of Bank of Ireland that I joined, um, which you know probably every branch manager, but certainly that I knew was a fifty year old male that has changed dramatically but but even the work that the bank was doing just a couple of years before I left because I, I was part of their gender balance committee and LGBT so I mean they had they had done fantastic work and every organization to, uh, to be fair most organizations rather um, are doing fantastic work but I think this is something that you just need to it has to be a constant it's being really really purposeful around what we're trying to do so that we can get other organizations on board as well, but also that we, we do the right thing and make sure that we have the right, diverse, open and fair culture. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's coming across strongly. I mean, you, you, you've you got the, you've spoken out in, in, in a number of media interviews about these issues. So that, that's part of it, you know, that that is part of the contribution. Um, the, the other thing about it, of course, is you've moved to the UK and we have to be conscious that the UK and Ireland have, have different experiences. I know that there was the marriage referendum in Ireland, which Britain didn't have, they have a different uh, constitutional system there. So, you know, there, there, there's different little national characteristics that we shouldn't forget. But but in terms of where you think things will go next, I mean, obviously some of these areas are politically charged. You know, this is not just plain sailing. People have strong, strongly held views on, on these issues. I mean, do you think we're getting to a good place or, or, or do you think, you know, with all that's going on in the world and different political movements and so on, do you think we're actually in maybe a more challenging place? I, I think, if I'm honest, I think since COVID, we've probably gone back a little bit. The challenges that we've had with people having to be remote and organisations not sort of being together, if, you, if that makes sense in terms of face-to-face, I think we've, we've probably more work to do. And we've seen certainly, you know, in Ireland, some of the, the, the difficulties, particularly in the LGBT community recently. I think we were making progress. We've gone back slightly. So I think I think all organizations and, and government need to just be a little bit more focused on this, um, as I said, and, and purposeful. And whether that is in an organization, you know, making sure that you're having your network, the leadership, the targets that you can set. Um, it's just something that we cannot take our eye off the ball. And I, and I think we, we maybe did for, for very valid reasons um, throughout COVID, but that needs to change. Now, Julie, to, to finally, because I'm running out of time, as I said, it's about a half an hour, our, our conversations with our various business leaders we talked to. So we're, we're heading towards the final uh, part of that, unfortunately. But I'd love to get your, your hear some of your thoughts on your, your personal situation. You've moved to London. You're a well-known Athlone resident. The Westmead Independent seems to follow your every career twist and turn. So uh, I know, do, do you miss home? How, how have you been settling in over there? How is your own personal setup going? Are, are you happy? Are you under more pressure or stress than ever before where I saw an article in The Economist last week saying managers are not all right you know they're, they're sort of the, the only group that nobody has been thinking or talking about over recent years the kind of stress and pressure of those roles so so how are things going in the job for you personally at the moment? Yeah really well Emmett I mean I, I'm very happy in the role I'm very happy in London I think to be honest I have I have the best of both worlds because I still have Ireland under my remit um, I get to to you know every few months I'm I'm back in Ireland actually I was back there for three weeks and I only came back on Saturday to London so you know things are good I mean I think the UK and, and London is um, it's quite an interesting place to work it's quite dynamic and I like it it's you know the hustle and bustle of London isn't for everybody um, but I'm somebody who who likes to be out and about I can't I can't sit behind a desk. Um, <laughs> 
five days a week. I, I certainly can. So for me, it's good. But as I said, the good thing for me is that I also have Ireland as well because Ireland is home and it always will be. And that's where my, my family are. Um, so it's really, really important for me that I have uh, I, I have Ireland under my under my belt as well. Yeah. And, and I think your, your, your wife has gone with you to London and a few cats as well. Is that right? Yes. Uh, Donna's here with me and two dogs and two cats. Oh, right. so, uh, okay. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot of work. Exactly. It's definitely busy. It was a lot of work for, for Donna. It's not a lot of work for me, to be fair. Uh, she looks after it all. Yeah, I remember I, remember I used to work a lot of myself and I, I, we, we brought our cat at the time and it was listed by British Airways as livestock on the uh, on the ticket that we went over with, which wasn't uh, too sensitive to the poor animal. But there you go. Uh, in terms of your kind of work regime, then, I mean, it, you must be very busy. I mean, there must be a lot of meetings, management meetings. And, and uh, the UK, is it's a hard place to get around because it's, a, it's just a larger country. Uh, and of course, you have trade strikes and all sorts going on. I mean, it, it must be logistically a, a lot of balls to juggle at the moment for you. It is. It is. I mean, to, to be fair, the, the rail networks here are absolutely fantastic, apart from the fact that there's lots of strikes um, over the last few months and more to come. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm out probably three to four days a week. And then, you know, usually I'd probably be at home one, one day a week. But for me, Emmett, that's not the hard part of the job. It's actually the part I love. So um, for me, being out on site with our teams, meeting our clients, um, that's the really, really great part of the role for me. It's 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 the internal stuff I try to to stay away from if I'm really really honest. Um, so I stay busy and and I'm I'm out a good bit, which is great. Well, listen, well done and good luck over the next few years. It sounds like you're you're reshaping the business very much over there, and it's on a, a good trajectory. And as you know, you keep close eye on what's happening back here, and it's always great to see an Irish person doing well in the British business world. There's a few out there, but not too many. So we, we, we do toast that. So thank you very much for this conversation. And no doubt we talk to you again, Julie Ennis, who is the CEO of Corporate Services at Sodexo and Country President of Sodexo Ireland as well. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Now, if you enjoyed this week's episode of the UCD Business Impact Podcast, please subscribe to episodes on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We cover a broad range of topics with insights from business leaders around the world, so there's sure to be something there for everyone. I'd like to thank our production team of Beth Gormley and Mike Liffey. They work tirelessly in the background, sourcing interviewees, editing, promoting episodes, and everything in between. I've been your host, Emmett Oliver, and we hope you can join us next time on UCD Business Impact. Music